the first Easter Sunday, women, Mary, Mary Magdalene and Simone, they went to the tomb of their best friend early in the morning. And when they got there, his body was not there. They whispered to each other, he's not here, just like he said, he's risen from the dead. And that wasn't just the greatest news ever for that group of friends. That was the greatest news the world has ever heard. In that moment, the greatest truth that has ever been known was told. Death has lost its power. In a world with war and despair and pain, addiction and divorce, in that world, all of those things have lost its power. Jesus has conquered them all. And in that moment, a movement started. A movement that spread like wildfire, where love had conquered the deepest and darkest places of hate and despair and corruption and pain, love and power had conquered it all. A movement where people looked at the darkest things and they said, we know a God who is more powerful than that. A God who shines light in the darkest of dark. The darkness cannot overcome the light anymore. A God who ignites change in the places where all hope has been lost. Jesus is risen from the dead. That truth matters and it changes everything. Amen. So next Sunday is, is Easter Sunday and I, there are three things that you can uh, be a part of so next Saturday, I would love for you to invite your friends and neighbors to join us for an Easter egg hunt. We'll be here at Wilson on the field behind us starting at 10 a.m. There'll be Easter egg hunts every 15 minutes till about 11. Um, and there'll also be food trucks, bounce houses. It's a great opportunity to invite your friends and neighbors. It's an easy opportunity to invite them. And then also invite them back on Sunday. We'll have services next Sunday at 9 and 10.30. So if you show up at 10, you'll be super early. And I would love for you to then help out and be a volunteer because we'll have people that will be coming here for the very first time that will be walking in the doors. And maybe you'll remember that first time you came to church, you stepped foot in a church, you came to Horizon or somewhere else, and you were nervous, you weren't sure where to park, who you were going to sit next to, and there will be people that will be coming for the very first time with those same anxious feelings, and you can be a part of that movement of telling the greatest story, being that first person that greets them in the parking lot, that meets them at the door, that offers them a donut, you get to be a part of that. And so if you are, are willing to be a part of that movement of sharing the greatest story ever told, next Sunday. We would love for you to be a volunteer. Um, you can text uh, that same number, 94,000, uh, text Horizon to 94,000 and indicate you are interested in serving next Sunday on that connection card, and we would love to get you connected that way as well. And so um, between Easter egg hunt, Easter service, and then also being a part of welcoming people next Sunday, there are three things that you can do next week to do 
be a part of Shining Light Igniting Change here at Horizon. Uh, my name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to have you in worship. Um, and we are just overjoyed that you're spending today with us. Today, um, across the church world, is known as Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, where we, we remember the story of Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. And so, um, to get us started today, I was reminded recently of... Uh, a TV show that I was super, like, into. Like, I never missed it, and this was back um, when there was only DVR. You didn't stream everything and just watch, like, binge watch things all in, like, one night. You had to, like, actually wait till like, the next week when the show came on. Um, and so I was super into Lost. Uh, any other Lost fans out there? Um, and this is, like, it really dawned on me this week that I'm getting old, that it's been off, like, it hasn't been on TV in 12 years. <laughs> Like, that's a really long time. So in 2010, uh, I was finishing my last year of seminary. Eric and I were engaged, going to be married that next summer when the show ended. And I was absolutely obsessed. I think it was like six or seven seasons of the show. I started watching it when I was in college. And the show Lost had just, was just full of all these, like, metaphors and deep meanings and all these different layers. Um, and you, like, didn't know what anything meant. Like, it was the weirdest show now, looking back on it. I don't know why I was absolutely obsessed with it. Like, there was this, like, ghost monster spirit thing that roamed an island where this plane had crashed, and it followed these survivors of a plane crash. And then there was a bunker on the island where every 108 minutes, this button had to be pushed, or, like, the world was going to end. There was just some really strange things. There was flashbacks and flash-forwards. It was sometimes hard to follow everything that was going on. But the last season came along, and the very last episode, it was like, this is going to finally explain all of the mysteries that are going on. And I wasn't alone. This was also like the, at the, like the peak of like finally like social networking was happening. Um, there were podcasts happening about the show, and you could like try to track and predict like what all these little these, uh, metaphors meant. And the last episode came, and I don't feel bad spoiling it, because like I said, it's been 12 years. If you haven't watched it, like, it's just on you. Um, <laughs> So it's, it, the show ends, it literally ends with like all these cast of characters that you've been following along, and you're like, man, I want everything to be explained. I had such great expectations for this last episode. Of course, Erica was not going to interest it. I had to watch it on my own time. Um, and I, I got to the last scene, and all it is is all the characters hugging, and they're like sitting in a church, and they kind of just like walk towards the light, and I, it's, I guess some sort of metaphor maybe for like the afterlife. And the show just ends. And like everything that I wanted explained didn't happen. I had such great expectations for this last episode. And it was just like, what? And uh, I mean, the show kind of says that, you know, all those things don't really matter. But it was the relationships, like them hugging was like actually what was important. And I'm like, okay, whatever. (laughs) But I had all these expectations. And in the same way, we come with those each and every day with these expectations of what we want life to be like, right? And the story we read today, the people that Jesus meets on the road had expectations of what they wanted in their life and what they expected from Jesus. And so uh, we're going to turn today. If you've got your Bibles with you, I invite you to go ahead and take it out, pull it out on your phone, um, open up the Bible app. I'm a huge fan of that. It's free. Uh, take, download it if you don't already have it. Um, just a little bit of background for what we're going to read today in Mark uh, chapter 11 is... Um, Jesus, he's been traveling around, he's been teaching, he's been healing people, him and the 12 disciples have been moving around, along together, and he's told them a couple times already that, that he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to die, 
and they just don't get it. They don't understand what's happening. Um, they don't believe him. It's because it's not what they wanted. It's not what they were expecting to happen. The other backstory to know here is there was a prophet named Zechariah. And Zechariah lived a long time before Jesus, several hundred years before Jesus. And he said that when you see a man coming into Jerusalem on a donkey, you're going to know that this man is like no other man that's gone before him. And pay attention to when that happens. And so those, those are the two backstories to what we're going to read today from Mark chapter 11. We're going to start at the first verse. And it says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt there, tied there, which no one has ever ridden, Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went ahead and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. They untied it. Some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches that they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So just to sum up what we, we were reading here is, is Jesus is just a little ways off from Jerusalem. He sends the disciples ahead to get a, a donkey for him. He, he rides into town, and before long, a, a parade starts happening around him. People are running towards the road. They're throwing their, their coats on the ground in front of them. They're throwing palm branches in front of them. And they're moving. This, this throwing the, the coats in front of them is, is something that you would have expected from a king. This was really a royal entry. This was literally rolling out the red carpet for Jesus. And this, this is going to be our focus today. Why did they lay their coats on the road before them? Well, it was a way of showing honor to Jesus. It was a way of saying the greatness of Jesus that was before them. It was a way of saying, my allegiance is to you. Jesus. They were rolling out the red carpet because palm branches and coats were something that was fit for a king. And I have to say that, that my favorite coat as a kid uh, was this Atlanta Braves jacket. It was like the official team jacket that I had. It was a starter jacket, I think, even. Um, and uh, it was awesome. Like, it, it was, I think I have a picture of it. Uh, I couldn't find a picture of me in the jacket, so I found some, like, some, so this is, like, Greg Maddox. Like, this is the, one of my favorite, the definitely, I think, the greatest picture of all time. Yeah, it is a starter jacket. It had the Braves in on one side. This was the jacket they, they wore when they won the, the World Series back in 95. That was, like, the most recent until this past year, if you're a Braves fan. Like, I had one of these jackets when I was in fifth grade, and it was literally the coolest possession I've ever had. And apparently, starter jackets of this nature are, like, cool again, and I, I wish I hadn't laid it down at some point in my life. Um, I didn't lay it down for Jesus. I don't know where this jacket is, but I so wish I had it again. 
But for people in Jesus' time, their jacket, their coat, their outer garment would have been their most prized possession. And this was by far my most prized possession as a fifth grader. Like, I thought I was super cool wearing this to school in 1995. Their most prized possession. It would have been about the only thing they really owned of any value. And when they, when G, they saw Jesus, without hesitation, they ran to the road and put it down for Jesus. They gave it up. They gave it up. And what does this mean for us today to roll out the red carpet for Jesus in our own lives? What does it mean to lay it down for Jesus in our lives? What does this mean for us today? And to lay something down, I think, can be a little churchy language. Uh, to, to lay something down means to literally just to give up, to give it up. And so there are two things in our culture, I think, that to be followers of Jesus that we have to give up. And the first thing that we have to give up is our own desires and wants oftentimes. We are filled with so many things in our own life that we want in our life. We have our, our five-year plan of where we think we're going to have our life be. We have our, our desires for what we think will make us happy, those things in our own life that we think will make us whole. And Jesus asks us so often to lay those things down, to lay down our wants, to lay down our desires. The people at this Palm Sunday parade, they had expectations they had their desires of who they thought Jesus would be, the kind of king that they thought he would be. They had their expectations because they had been hoping for a long time. They had been waiting for a long time for this king, this king that they thought would be a literal king, but yet Jesus was a king, but a king of a different kingdom. He was king of a different kingdom, and Jesus was not what they had expected. And the truth is here, God rarely will give us what we want, but does give us what we need in our lives. God rarely gives us what we want, but will give us what we need. And yet, we thank God for that, right? We thank God for that. Because when you think back about your life, Think about all of those crazy things that you hoped for, that they hoped will happen. Like that one thing that you hoped will happen, that if I just got this one thing, God, if this one thing happened in my life, then I'll be happy. That one thing. Think about all those crazy relationships that you hoped worked out. We're in a middle school gym, or auditorium. Think about all those crazy crushes you had in middle school. If we, God, if this relationship would just work out, Right? Just imagine if your life would have worked out and that would have been the person you were today. Hopefully no one is married to a middle school sweetheart. Uh, those things in our lives that we wanted so badly, but yet God still gave us what we needed in those moments. God, God rarely gives us what we want, but will give us what we need. Why? Why does it happen like this? It's because God loves us so much. God loves us so much. God says, I see you worrying about so many things. I see you worrying about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. But I love you, and I will provide for you. 
God rarely gives us what we want, but gives us what we need because God loves to provide for us. God loves us so much. God loves us so much. And so when we begin to lay down what we want in our life and trust in, that God will provide and give us what we need, we, we begin to lay down that five-year plan. God, I give you my five-year plan. Shape my life. Not make it about what I need, what I want, but make it about what you need in this world. God, this relationship that is falling apart, God, I give it over to you. God, my career, my dreams, my bank account, I give it over to you. It's not about what I want. Because God loves us so much, and God will provide. The second thing I, our culture tells us to hang t- tightly onto, to not give over, to not lay down, is our need for control. Our need for control. I don't know about you, but I can be a, a bit of a control freak at times in my own life. There are so many things in my life where I lose sleep tossing and turning, worrying about how things might be, how things could be. And it's all because I want to hold on to control and I don't want to let go of it. I don't want to lay it down. We live in a culture that believes in this, I, I even say a lot myself, you know, you do you, like, you know what's best for you, you just do you what you think is best. We want to be captains of our own ship, we want to control our own destiny at all times, yet it's full of arrogance. It's full of an arrogance that I always know what's best, what I want, what I think should happen, and yet... When we read the story of the people running, the crowd running to the road to lay down their coats, to lay down their coats for Jesus, to lay it down in the same way that you would lay it down for a king, was to say, Jesus, Jesus, you are the true king, not Caesar. Jesus, you are in control, not Caesar. Jesus, you are in charge, not Caesar. It was absolutely scandalous what they were doing. It could have got them killed. At the least, it could have got them arrested. And when we lay down our our need for control, we lay down that desire to say, I'm in control. We say, Jesus, you are king of my life, not me. Jesus, you are king of my life, not I. Jesus, you are king of my life of my life, not myself. Jesus, you are king of my life, not all of us. Jesus, you are king of my life, not me, myself, and I. You are, Jesus. You are in control. You are in charge. And yet so often, we don't live our lives like that. You could follow me around for just probably a day, and you would realize I'm terrible at controlling my own life, right? Like, surely he won't do that again. Surely on the way to church, when he's about to preach a sermon, he's not going to yell at his kids again about not buckling their seatbelts right when they get in the car, because I want to be in control, right? Like, surely, surely he'll figure this out. 
And yet Jesus asks us to lay it down, lay down our need for control. And it's not easy. It's not easy. Jesus doesn't say, come and lead me. Jesus invites us to come and follow him. And we're constantly warring with that, right? We're constantly struggling with that because we want to be in control of every situation. Lay it down. As followers of Jesus, we lay down our control, our need for control, because we trust in Jesus. And I'm sure there, there are some of us that are sitting here and imagining, why would I want to do something like that? Why would I want to do that? You know, I, I showed up for church on, on Palm Sunday. I'm checking the box today. Why would I do something like that? Why would I, I give up everything? Because there were people that came to watch Jesus ride into town that just kind of watched from a distance. There were people that watched from a distance. They thought Jesus was pretty cool, but they didn't lay down their coats, I would imagine. They didn't drop the palm branches in front of them. They just watched the parade go by. They checked the box that they had been there. But they didn't enter into that deeper relationship with Jesus. They didn't take that next step to follow him more closely. Because when we follow Jesus, here's the second truth for today. When we lay down everything, we actually find everything. Because Jesus says when we give up our life, when we lay down our life, we'll find our life. We'll find it. And what is it and everything? It and everything are those things in life that we're searching for. It and everything are those things in life that we're searching for. Are you searching for joy? Do you feel like you have everything you want, but you still are lacking joy? Or maybe you live in that, that constant cycle that constant cycle of instant gratification and then guilt, and it leaves you feeling empty and you have no joy? Are you looking for a joy that has no ending? Because we find it in Jesus. Are you looking for purpose? Have you been searching for purpose in your job and in your bank account and a bigger house? And another workout that you think will give you purpose. But you still wake up every day lacking purpose. Because in Jesus we find purpose. We find a purpose that makes us want to get up out of bed in the morning to do something. Are you looking for peace in your life? Are you constantly fighting everything? Constantly fighting everything. Are you constantly fighting everything and you just want a peace a peace that is actually present in the valleys and not just on the mountains. A peace that lasts. A peace that passes all understanding. Is that the kind of peace you want in your life? Because we find it in Jesus when we lay down our coats. Or what about identity? Because God offers us and an identity, and a worth that's constantly changing. No matter if you missed your, your monthly sales goals, your worth, your identity is constant and unchanging. 
Your relationship's falling apart. Your spouse is about to walk out the door. God offers you an identity and a worth that's constant and unchanging. When we lay down our lives, God fills us with himself. He fills us with patience and peace and kindness. God fills us with himself. Today, I I believe God is asking us, what are we going to lay down? What have you carried in here today? I remember when I first experienced God's love in my own life as a high school student. I was searching for a lot of these things as a high school student. I had no idea what my purpose was. I brought big questions to God, and I was asking why. Why was my mom diagnosed with cancer? Who am I supposed to be, God? I have no clue. And I brought all of these questions, and I laid them down. I laid them down before Jesus. And so if you came in here carrying questions of why, why cancer, why is my relationship falling apart, If you came in here carrying big things or even small things, if you came in here carrying questions or pains, I invite you today to lay them down. Lay them down. In just a moment, I'm going to close this in prayer. And when we celebrate communion today, uh, I want to remind you that Erica will be up front here and I will be in the back. And whether you have a pain or a question, something big or small that you have brought in, if you would like some, one of our pastors to pray with you, we would love to be a part of that healing this morning. And so let us all pray together right now. God, we thank you that you are a God who defies our expectations, who doesn't always give us what we want, but will give us what we need because you love us so much. You will provide for us. And God, we confess there are so many times in our life that we want to be in control, that we want what we want. And we ignore the ways that you are at work in our lives. We're thankful that your grace is greater than our need for control, our need for what we want. And so this morning, I pray that each of us would take that step that wherever you're calling us, take that step to lay down our desires, to lay down our control, to lay down what we want for our own life that we would open our hearts and our minds to the ways that you're already at work. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.